Welcome to Green Focus, a new podcast that aims to discover and showcase transformative Israeli green technology in order to understand it better and help leverage this technology to make a positive impact on our planet. Each episode will take a fresh look at the innovation and business impact happening in the green tech sector with guests including VCs, founders, technologists, and climate activists. In these conversations, we aim to discuss the pathways for leveraging cutting-edge innovation to attract investment and do business globally. And now, introducing the host of Green Focus and CEO of Focus IP, Yaron Damelin. Welcome to Anne Baer. Anne Baer, how do I pronounce your name, Anne? Let's go to that one first. Well, I was born in France, so it's a German name, but you can spell it Baer. And you can, in Israel, adopt the Bet Aleph Resh writing, which makes it Be'er, like uh, a well. A well. I think it's Matim, right? Be'er. Yeah, it fits, uh, actually, uh, part of my activity. Exactly. I mean, when, when we get to Iker, and I saw your explanation that it's also Ikar, you know, the, yeah. the farmer, so, and the main thing, the Tachlis. So there's a lot of uh, word plays that are going on over here, which is very, which is cool, okay? So anyway, having Anne Baer on, Baer on today, uh, who's a sustainability expert, okay? Lots of years of experience in international innovation consultancy and a business leader. You've got a very impressive background, okay? I can see you've Thank been you, doing Yaron. so many things over the years and you've been uh, managing chambers of commerce and a public speaker and uh, integrated into different business practices. And, uh, and as well, you've been with the French ministry doing kind of a special envoy in Israel. Um, lastly, not lastly, but currently, I guess, uh, you're doing eye care innovation, which is your consultancy. Uh, you've been in this world for many years. You have consulted and taught and inspired for many years. And that's why I wanna just throw you straight in there and say, you quoted, okay, in your LinkedIn profile, and you said, Anthem, there are three French major energy uh, players that united to call every consumer to self-constraint. Now, how can we as end users and consumers meaningfully uh, consume less energy? Well, uh, you're starting with the end, actually. Because I'm throwing um, it in the deep end. Yeah, we are supposed to, to talk about tech. And when you talk about tech, you um, dissociate yourself from the solution. You say, okay, let's go to scientists, let's go to technologists, let's go to geeks and entrepreneurs, and they will find a solution for us. And the conclusion I would like to reach, and if I can have an impact today, uh, is to say that this has nothing to do with the main responsibility that we have as individuals. And change will come from everyone individual that will adopt I'm not uh, talking about constraining ourselves, but thinking and acting differently. So I'm going to leave the rest of this answer for later, and um, because I did throw you into the deep end. Um, and my first real question that I wanted to actually ask you is why were you knighted? You were knighted uh, by the French government, I believe. Uh, tell us the story. Oh, uh, you talked about uh, the, the French ministry. It was the foreign uh, ministry. And they decided that they want to enhance 
relations with Israel on the basis of the startup nation, like almost every country did uh, immediately in the same years or immediately after. So I was appointed innovation uh, officer at the embassy and my um, mandate was to bring as many new projects of collaboration, technological collaboration between Israel and France. And Israel uh, was already very well known for the participation to the EU programs. Uh, Israelis have uh, achieved over the years results that not even France, which is a legacy scientific and industrial country, has ever uh, achieved. So um, I used all the funding available in order to find potential partners to agree to, to co-develop uh, IP together, intellectual property. And we had like 48 files presented for funding at the Innovation Authority, which was then the chief scientist on the Israeli side and on the French side, the equivalent, which is BPI France. Uh, some of the projects had an ecological impact, but sustainability was not the focus. The focus was on co-development between these two countries. Now I continue acting on the economic and technological diplomacy level on a pro bono basis today through IKEA Innovation or my own activities. And I promote a lot of, let's say, understanding and enlightening information about Israel in order to drive more French investors into Israel, but in the other direction, to also explain to uh, the Israelis how France can be uh, the great platform for their sustainable innovation solutions since Europe and France is one of the leaders, uh, economic leaders of Europe, and especially on sustainability was on the forefront. Um, France is uh, very well positioned in terms of supporting R&D, in terms of being a logistic hub with uh, opening on different oceans and being in the middle of, of Europe. And uh, I think that too often the Israelis tend to go to English speaking countries first, or even to Germany on specific industries where they think they will find more partnerships or more low hanging fruits in terms of uh, uh, potential market. The French market is very interesting. And one of my pro bono activities is to promote it. Amazing starting point because, I mean, as we all know, Israel being a tiny local market, we naturally and uh, intrinsically look elsewhere. And Europe is, uh, you know, obviously uh, the big gorilla in the in the green sustainability space. And we know that Europe kind of uh, is really enticing. Um, you know, personally, uh, you know, this kind of feeling often jumps out that it's it's the Scandinavian countries that are the ones we should be speaking to because they seem to be ahead of the innovation curve there. Um, and France and the mainland countries, um, I don't know, we, we don't, I, I'm not aware personally of hearing so many corporations between companies that have set up in France that have maybe done better testing of their technologies in France, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but are you saying that you can, you're witness to many, many um, corporations that have gone on um, and that are currently going on between France and Israel? I'll give you an example, a concrete historical example. Um, France is not an oil and gas country. 
um, France has developed the nuclear uh, industry long ago, as you know, and is a world leader in um, producing electricity from uh, nuclear energy. Um, but France is also a champion in water management, in waste management, in all sorts of environmental services, energy, energy uh, transition, but mostly um, saving energy solutions. So let's take water. We had an issue in Israel, which is a scarce country in terms of hydric resources. And we addressed the issue through desalination. Who was our first partner? It was at that time Veolia, which is a French leader in desalination, but not only in desalination. And they won in the tender, which was quite brave at that time. They won in the tender that the conditions were just unbearable for all the competition. They were the only one who agreed at that time and managed to do so, to produce one million um, um, cubic meter of uh, water, which is 1,000 liters of water, for a price which was as low as half a dollar at that time. The main price for desalination is not the filter, it's mm. the energy, the power. So the equation is always an equation of power. So uh, after winning this first tender, they co-developed with the ecosystem, which was already very, very rich uh, in terms of water solutions. We are known in Israel for having developed water solutions, not only Netafim, uh, but many other uh, companies. So they co-developed efficiency measures and patents and um, solutions that made up with this target, not only for domestic use, but also for the next project. So it was a win-win situation. And during the coming 20 years, almost no public tender was ever won on the basis of, this, of the same price. So they were like 20 um, years um, in advance over the competition. Today, um, like almost 30 years later, we are able to use this um, ad competitive advantage as an asset in our economic diplomacy with our states, with our neighbors, and to name one of them, with Jordan, with whom we have a long lasting uh, peace uh, agreement, but much less economic cooperation as we could. So the, the, the agreements that were uh, signed a little less than a year ago were just uh, based on technologies and know-how developed more than 20 years ago in collaboration between French and Israelis. And it's bringing uh, a political advantage to the region. That's fascinating because I'm actually very, very interested in the, in the water story in Israel um, and, and the development and the history of that. Um, and Israel seems to be still, we, we've got a lot to be proud of. Um, I just wasn't aware that we had such a deep and long-lasting cooperation with the French technology companies in order to achieve that. So that's very important that you've informed me about that. And it's good to know. And it gives me a lot of extra hope, even though I'm full of hope. But I'm going to then swing to another point that you rose, uh, that you um, that you put up previously, uh, and that is about nuclear energy. 
So we know that uh, you know France is famous for its ability to have uh, created tremendous nuclear energy infrastructures. Um, and I think right now with the Ukrainian uh, war, which has broken out and all the energy compromises that are going on, France is kind of uh, the only country that's, I think, feeling in that area, that's feeling kind of confident that we've got endless ability to make new energy. Um, that being the case, there's this big debate going on right now, right? With, with, with renewables, are we going to put all the energies in our, uh, into, into what type of renewables? And we do it here thrown out sometimes that nuclear is at the end of the day, actually the cleanest. I mean, if we could deal with the radioactive wastage um, and it's pretty safe, actually, if you look at the numbers of people who've died from various forms of, um, of consequences of energy production. So do you see, um, see uh, ahead of us a major renaissance in nuclear energy and perhaps in like small, uh, you know, mini nuclear, um, you know, uh, uh, creating uh, apparatus and stuff? Um, I'm not an expert in nuclear energy, and I must disclose also the fact that my father uh, was a nuclear engineer, and we grew up in uh, the most nuclear area of France, so next to a plant, uh, which explains why also I'm I'm, I'm also fighting for renewables uh, today. Oh, I was going to say uh, you're glowing. Yes, absolutely. There are some uh, elements that I don't want to detail here in my medical file, but uh, in terms of sustainability, I went into sustainability in the 90s, early 90s already through the United Nations, and I had the opportunity to have a few discussions with experts all around the, the globe and also with my father. And nuclear power is a fact in Israel, in, in Israel less in terms of civil uh, nuclear power, but in France, we were born into uh, nuclear energy, especially after the Yom Kippur War, 73, when France, um, just like now, uh, decided to diversify its supply and be less dependent upon the oil and gas countries. I, I remind you that we have no oil and gas, but we have ideas. This was the um, motto, the political motto uh, with which uh, they sensitized the population. Mm. On n'a pas de pétrole, mais on a des idées. No oil, but ideas. And they were also calling population to save uh, on energy, to target the ideal temperature, temperature at home and in office at 19 degrees. Look at what temperature usually you use with your um, um, air conditioning today, so 19, and I, I grew on these uh, on these values. Um, so nuclear and energy has its pro and its cons. Now we have the climate challenges, which are less and less contested today, but used to be very contested. So the way you look at things, at figures, at statistics, at facts, there is a limit to how much you can deny the facts. So today the facts are more evident to more people. And we look at the potential energetic mix with all the options on the table. And nuclear energy is one option that reduces the emissions of, um, of gases uh, and actually contribute to achieve our commitments at the global and local level. Um, looking at geopolitical threats, you also counterbalance the sustainability commitments when you are managing a country and you are a decision maker 
uh, you have to take into account all the considerations, which is also what Israel did, by the way, when we discovered offshore our gas uh, potential. We looked at the geopolitical asset we had there, not only at the power economical asset with all the consequences on the environment. I want to remind uh, the people that gas is emissive. Gas is a fossil energy, maybe less than other fossil alternatives, but still it's not a clean and it's definitely not a renewable energy. It is something we take from the future generation. It is hazardous. Uh, we, we have to deal with methane and, and with even longer lasting gases in the atmosphere. So uh, gas is not a clean solution, but still it's a little more economic and environmental than depending on oil producers. Regarding nuclear, today the acceptability has completely changed. And there are already decisions, not only in France, but in other countries, Belgium and other countries, I can't think of, of all the countries that are now considering importing know-how from France and from other places and developing their uh, nuclear power. And nuclear power in 2022 doesn't have the same potential um, impact, negative impact as it had uh, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s where we didn't know uh, some of the information that we have today and we didn't have the options, the technological options. I don't want to sound like uh, promoting nuclear power because I'm looking at the sustainable solutions and we have enough sun and we have enough wind and we have enough thermal power in order to find other solutions and to develop storage technologies and transportation and networks in order to support hydrogen. Today, hydrogen, in the same time that we talk about nuclear, we talk about hydrogen in France, and we want to become the champion of hydrogen in Europe and maybe in the world, just the way we became uh, long ago, at the time of my father, the champion of nuclear power. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's critically important to emphasize the the consequences of all of the energy production. I mean, nuclear, I'm keenly aware, the actual production itself may be clean. The stations are massive amounts of cement and, uh, and raw materials, and it's years of, uh, you know, to build a nuclear station, which if you look at Europe now, they need to keep warm next winter. They can't wait for years. So we have to blend these things together, absolutely. Um, you know, the gas, which we can kind of agree is a temporary stage, it's doing a very important job right now. But I think we need to just consider all of these different technology creation types, technologies, um, and somehow that is our challenge. And that, that's what I kind of want to bring uh, to the attention of, of the listeners. You know, how, how do we mitigate? How do we play one against the other? Um, has any country got the luxury, for example, France is actually in an easy situation relatively. They could say, well, we know nuclear. We know it absolutely brilliantly. And it's done a great job. And we can predict it. And we can now do it very safely. And this is infinite energy. Um, but even France, you can see, are now backing on the next dinosaur, or the next, not the dinosaur, the next, uh, uh, you know, unicorn, let's call it, um, to say that hydrogen is the next game in town, or potentially at least, and don't uh, fall behind in that game. So this is one of the, the big challenges. How do we play the game and do the right mix in, in these different countries? Um, you know, Israel, obviously, like a country like Israel, um, you know, I think what you ascribed to France earlier, where you said we've got no oil and gas, but we've got thoughts. 
Um, Israel is a classic example of a similar idea, which meant we've got no natural resources, at least we had none, um, and we have to use our brains, we have to use innovation, um, and we have to make something from nothing. So the example of water you gave, we like turn around and said, well, you know what, actually, all we've got is wastewater, but let's make that into usable water, for example, and we, re and we recycle about 90% or something of our wastewater. Um, so these are challenges which we're throwing out there, which we, we need to embrace, and we need to embrace them faster because the world needs energy. Um, you know, I was speaking to someone in Australia last week, and they were saying how they are also now uh, starting with blackouts and with uh, times out for electricity because they haven't got exactly. enough. This is Australia, and this is everywhere. Um, so we have a lot of work to do, okay? And we need infinite en energy at this stage. So uh, let's, let's, we'll, we'll go on to the next questions, but, but the challenges are out there. So now if I can I re react, if I can react to what you yeah, just sure. said, when we talk about nuclear or hydrogen, we talk mid and long term. And as you said, we need first to spend the winter. And regarding the coming months, uh, the winter for Europe, but also the summer uh, here in Israel, which is so hot. Um, for this, we need energy now. So uh, the first consideration in planning our usage today that we can have is to reduce our consumptions, to make efforts to reduce. And the, the article you just mentioned that I posted on LinkedIn is exactly that. It's those who are supposed to produce power, to plan, to, uh, to plan the supply at the right price and to deliver that to the consumers already know what winter we're going to spend. And they are calling for each of us to reduce our consumption. So what's happening today in, in, in Eastern Europe is on not only a political threat uh, over democratic states in, in Europe, it is a threat over the challenges that we have uh, in climate. And it is a threat that comes with an opportunity. And the opportunity is to realize that the, the energy transition requires exactly that to reduce first our consumptions, industrial and domestic, any consumption that we can reduce at the private and public level. It also requires to think differently, to have new alliances, to look at regional cooperation, swapping electricity for desalinated water, like between Jordan that is going to produce solar energy and Israel, but also bringing gas from the Middle East through the region of Israel into Europe, which is something that can be done long-term, mid-term, but also short-term, because there were already discussions involving the East, South, and North part of the Mediterranean Basin. And now Turkey is also part of it. So uh, instead of having one more gas form and one more, um, pipeline from the north of Russia, we are now at the center of the solution. We are. Okay, and this is a, this is great. This is, it's great for our local needs at the moment, I guess, because we need to also make benefits. But, you know, it was interesting the last year, the flip around with the Minister of Environment, she a year ago kind of turned around and said, no, 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 we're not increasing our gas uh, supplies. And Minister, suddenly now what happened. It's, it's Karin, it's Karin Elarar uh, at yes, the last yes. So it's the Minister of Energy. Exactly. Sorry, yes. So Minister of Energy, and I'm not, I'm not blaming her in any sort of way. Geopolitics is important. We've seen the world is being shaken all over the place. 
Um, you, you're giving me a particular challenge, okay? And that's why, because on the one hand, um, uh, we're talking about kind of uh, consumer behavior, okay? And consumer being, it could be governments as well and organizations. And we, and I fully agree with you. I mean, I know we've, we've I'm, I'm sure in our, both in our private lives, we're on a mission to, to try and minimize as much wastage and use as little uh, throwaways and, and all look, the little things that we can look do. Look how I live. I mean, in the jungle, in order not to mobilize <laughs> any other resources. <laughs> a true camper. Um, but even though, and, and that is something very close to my heart uh, in various ways, we can maybe go into that some other time. Um, but my current agenda from a, from a kind of a corporate pushing point of view is, uh, you know, using technology, okay? There's solutions that come from behavior and there's also solutions that need to come from technology. And, um, you know, when at the last, uh, you know, at the, the last climate conference in, in Scotland, in Glasgow, in, you know, last year it was when Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, turned around and said, okay, you know, enough talking about innovation nation, what about sustainability nation? And that did actually uh, just tuned into something inside of me. Yes, we need to do that, right? And we've got a good start. So my question to you, my next question, is that when you, both on the investment level and on the kind of business alliance level, look at Israeli entrepreneurs, okay? And you compare them to French entrepreneurs and to other global entrepreneurs, how do we stand up to them? How are we on a level of... Uh, of, of expertise or, or, you know, or knowledge compared to our uh, associates all over the world? Um, first, you're completely right. When coming to Glasgow, this Israeli delegation of 120 members led by, for the first time, Prime Minister, uh, rose the expectations from Israel at a very high level. And I've, I had the opportunity to talk with Europeans after Glasgow and to feel how this uh, speech was heard and perceived. And actually we are so uh, sometimes full of despair that we think that uh, Israel will be the light of the nations or Lagoim and that we will bring the tikkun olam, the reparation of the world and people uh, in a some, somehow irrational way I think, okay, we, we have no solution, but you are going to make miracles. So now the expectation from the startup nation to be the sustainable nation that will bring Orla Goyim is very, very high. And when you look at the ecosystem in Israel, what you see is a trend. For the last two years, you see the younger generation of the entrepreneur coming out from the army and not going to cyber, going to energy and going to climate tech. This is true. We see maybe 50 companies that are already active and proposing some kind of climate related um, solution, which is not a lot uh, for uh, the world tenders that are already published and waiting for uh, the competition to come from Israel too. And we see some rounds, but still investment in clean tech is rather low as compared to what we could do. So we are in what we called, um, what I would call Gartner year one of the curve. We are the beginning of the 10 years path. And I believe that in a few years, the ecosystem will be much more mature. 
I see that solutions should come to solve the most um, burning issues like carbon capture. There are not enough solutions around the globe. And I hope that the deep tech and the out of the box thinking of the Israelis who can be very naive about problems and find solutions just because they don't know enough about the problems and all the people who tried before, they keep coming with great foolish sometimes, but working ideas. So carbon capture is one of the uh, CCU, what we call, is one of the track on which I think solutions could come from the deep technology that we find in Israel. Hydrogen, but it's more long-term. We already have uh, less than, a, let's say, a handful of solution, but not many more in Israel. It's going to grow. Uh, these are the tracks I see and, and, and the trends I see. Okay, just that's, that's fascinating. Um, I'm gonna have to start, um, you know, I could speak to you for hours. There's so much we need to speak about, we could speak about, but I'm gonna have to stop speaking for hours and get towards one or two other questions which I do need to stick in before I, before I can part from you. I noticed that um, you're about to launch Women in Tech, right? I believe it's even like next week or something. It's very soon. Um, and I want to just understand a little bit about your story. What is this Women in Tech? What is it trying to do? And why do you see a fundamental justification for having a separate movement for women in green tech, so to speak, as opposed to just people in tech? Okay, so uh, I'll explain that to you. I actually study political science. I'm not a scientist, although in politics. And um, I want to encourage younger women today to see the potential of the innovation ecosystem of sciences and of technologies in order to promote women. I believe in women's rights, women's lead. I, I got everything for granted when I was born, after the revolutions made by our mothers. What I want is to be able to sustain this freedom to the coming generation. In Israel, do you know that in average, the salary that you earn in high tech is 130% more than the salary that you earn in low tech? So meaning that 10% of the people earn almost twice and a half as much as the others. In the same time, life is very expensive and it's, gonna, it's not gonna get better because the shekel is going to remain high. And if you as a woman work for even the average being 11,000 shekels in low tech, if you work for 11,000 shekels, you cannot be independent from the others and raise, in average, your three children per family, per mother. If you are raising your children together with someone that loses his job or you lose this someone, you need to be independent. So I'm just looking economically about when you talk about sustainability, you need to sustain yourself, you need to be independent. And women should know how fascinating it is for a little effort to choose in a very determined way to go to technology, which is also good for Israel and it's good for women. This is my, my rationale. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing the launch. I don't think I'm invited to the launch, 
but I look forward to watching it and to hearing about it. And I do look forward to seeing how it progresses, absolutely. And uh, wishing you all the best with that one. Now, Thank you very I much. Hear, <laughs> really, I do want to hear more about it. Uh, one or two final questions. Unfortunately, I do need to come to a close soon. But my first one is if you were, if I were to give you a magic wand and ask you what you could do with this wand to give your grandchildren or children a better future, a better world, what would it be? You're not going to like the answer. It has to do with population density. As the Jewish people who have um, brought this dream and, and made it come true during the generation of our parents and grandparents, it's very difficult to hear that the population density today in Israel is similar to that of India. Look at the sky and the color of the sky in India. Our population density in Israel today with our 9 million people is the 30th in the world out of 232 countries. And it's not going to get better because we have the highest population growth index of OECD. For developing countries, we have um, the habits of consumption and production of a developed countries. So we have a very high ecological impact, much more than in Sahel or in any place in Africa. And still, we continue to make kids and to bring large families. Today, if I look at my single child and I think about his future, I will be able to help him. If I had seven children, I would not be able to help him or her. So my uh, uh, last insight is think about the ideal size of family in a more sustainable way. This is my message. And here you can have impact every night when you go to bed. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually interesting that you came up with that particular one. I actually have six kids, okay? So I'm on the other side of the, of, of the fence over there. But um, whatever our decisions are, right, in terms of that, and I appreciate the point that's been made, um, we simply do need to create a world and a worldview which can facilitate that. And we need to spread our resources with intelligence and with smartness, right? And if we've got lots of kids to look after, we have to, we, we're under so much more of an obligation to, in a sense, make a world that they can also live in, right? And, uh, you know, in Israel itself, uh, totally, when summer comes along and we feel the oppression of the heat and we want to kind of realize that most 80% of the country are living in this small little belt uh, and we haven't got that much space around us, we need to continue to green the desert. We need to make more living space, uh, you know, around us, which exists, but we just got to get there. We've got to make it livable. And so part of that, my, my challenge personally, um, you know, I deal with intellectual property and with uh, taking technology and trying to leverage the, the technology and with a focus on green technology today. Um, you know, that is, that is in a sense my, my passion, what I'm trying to do on the corporate side. Um, but there's, there's also this whole educational side of, um, you know, of uh, educational side of educating the future, the generations, what to do in the future. <clears throat> so we can also green the world, not just stop the damage, but do good not just stop the destruction and the noise and the pollution, but to build a green and better air, better water that we can actually have a nice life with, we can enjoy it. And so part of that, when we talk about greening the desert, isn't just for the sake of um, you know, growing stuff, it's also just to make beautiful environments, which we have kind of done in many places, we need to keep on doing. So, so on that level, that's where we well, are. Well, I let everyone uh, 
decide upon him, him or herself and come to Tel Aviv in rush hours and try to drive to any place in this country um, to understand in which situation we are. We are today as big as Austria, as Switzerland, which are also 9 million people. We are not the 3 million that I knew when I started to work on what we call the carrying capacity of the planet for the United Nations in the 90s. That's how I came to sustainability. We are now stronger. We can think differently and be less in a survival mode and more in a sustainable mode. You know, I've started working back at home, so I don't need to travel unnecessarily. I'm on my bicycle all the time, whenever. And when I think of Tel Aviv, I think of trains and buses and bicycles. I do not think of driving because the idea of finding parking and driving around there drives me crazy. I hate the traffic. I, I hate it. I've got this passion. You know, I'm, I'm usually a chilled out kind of guy, but when I hit the traffic, I lose all my chill. Okay. And so uh, I definitely see eye to eye with that. Um, in closing, Anne, I would just want to know from you, um, you know, if you were to write a book, I don't know if you've written a book yet, but if you were to write a book, uh, uh, what would it be about? What would the main theme be of that book right now? I really haven't written it, and that's the reason I'm not able to answer. Well, we're going to have to brainstorm this after the session because it's a challenge that I want to give to you. Uh, to me as well. I'm not releasing myself from that challenge. And I do want to close out now because we need to. The time is up. I really do appreciate your time. It's been wonderful speaking to you. I think we've got so much more to speak about, um, but it's been a great starting point. Uh, on behalf of me and the listeners, we want to thank you for your insights, for your inputs, for your passion, for your energy, for your direction. I wish you all the best with the launch next week of the Women in Tech chapter in Israel, and, uh, and, and we look forward to being in touch with you to move many, many great things forward. Okay. Thank you, Yaron, and you. continue the good doing. Thank you. Bye -bye. Wishing you all the best, and uh, we look forward to being in touch soon. All best. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Green Focus. We hope you were inspired by the episode. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts in order to stay updated when future episodes are released.